Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast. I'm your host as always, Gnarly Canary, and with me this week is... David Taylor II. Woohoo! You guys, he has been on before, and he had a bunch of really cool projects going, and he also has really cool social media stuff on some of your favorite superhero shows. So I wanted him back on for a while. We were finally able to reschedule it, so we're just going to jump right into it. How have you been? I've been really good. I've been extremely busy. I've been sleep deprived this week, but in a good way. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's always good. So, so how is that in a good way? You got you got stuff happening, or? Yeah, I got stuff happening. I had a launch today. I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Yes. Had a launch today, and. Uh, Finally getting ready to move towards my Patreon. I've been working on that for a while. And uh, so I'm just moving forward, you know, just making measurable progress. And that's always, always a good thing. Yes, it is. So um, last time we talked, you had, uh, and I don't, I mean, I don't know what you can speak to and what you can't. But last time, you know, we were talking about the book series and comics and a board game. And so <laughs> what's going on with all of those projects that were, that were rolling even back then? Cool, cool. Well, my uh, RPG, uh, we got a beta out. We have a free downloadable version. Oh, I thought it was like a so tabletop can download game. It. My bad. So, uh, yeah, so people can download that and, and play it. We've been getting some really good feedback. I'm probably going to do a Kickstarter on that maybe the first of next year. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be writing the, the book, you know, the rules in the back and all that. And I'm super, super, super excited about that and um, got some fantastic art because, you know, you can't do something like that if the art isn't right. Right. So found some great artists, very happy with their work. Um, so that's online now. People can download that and play it. And uh, Where can they find that? So, but yeah, moving forward on that. And uh, so there's that. Uh, with my comics, I'm finally getting ready to launch my Patreon. I was really researching which way I wanted to go and uh, getting some material together uh, because uh, I have a couple comics set in my novel series world about the war in heaven. Right. And uh, the way I've structured my story world is that everything is connected. So absolutely nothing is wasted. So anything you get in the series is pointing towards something else. Oh, that's awesome. Including the coloring. Books. So yeah, the novels, the coloring books, the comic books, the RPG, they're all connected. That's right. There so were if you coloring want to get the books too. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to get the full experience, it's it's all in uh, the world. So uh, I think I'm gonna uh, I'm thinking about putting them online and then just having some print copies with me when I do shows. Right. Because I've had a couple people ask me about that because I love to sign them because people want me to sign them and I love to sign them when I'm there and then maybe I'll just do digital versions uh, and then I've got oh man my superhero stuff I've been working on this stuff for a while yeah. Um, I have a really extensive process in terms of how I develop a story, number one. And number two, I really want to strive for, you know, somewhat originality. You know, some things aren't 
completely original, and some things are variations on a theme. But uh, so I can't get into details yet because they're so full of spoilers. I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, I'm definitely uh, coming out with my own superheroes, which has been like my lifelong dream. But all that will be like revealed in my Patreon because it's uh, also, you know, if you've never produced a comic, it's really, really, really expensive. And I mean, it's expensive just to produce. Then you have to market it. And that, you know, that's more expense. So I'll definitely be, uh, you know, just counting on people that I interact with. And, you know, every little bit helps, but every little bit helps me get, you know, quality quality talent. And, you know, I'm working with artists that have worked with Marvel and DC and uh, just really quality work all the way down the board with uh, inks, colors, letters, the whole thing. So they're going to look, they're not going to be amateurs. They're going to be a professional product. Gotcha. But that costs a lot of money to produce. So working on that. And... What happened today was I launched my new website today, finally. Uh, it's called Authors at Last. And it's a curriculum website where I offer classes for people that are trying to get into writing but don't know how to start. Wow. And, yeah, so I'm offering master classes. So my first one is going to launch. The website launched today. The first class will be available on June 15th. Uh, and the first class is entitled From Wishing to Writing. So I help you break down all the barriers that have stopped you from becoming an author. I deal a lot with mindset because most people don't realize that's where the problem is. Because I've noticed a whole lot of people, they just try to teach you techniques. That's not where you start. Right. You got to start with what you're thinking. So I do that. I, I go through techniques and tools, uh, how to generate ideas to write about so you never run out of ideas. And when I say never, I mean you will literally, because a whole lot of people are like, you know, I don't know what to write about. But once I show you these techniques, you'll have pages and pages of stuff. So you'll have plenty to write about. We talk about, uh, I show you how to overcome writer's block. Um, and I give you some tools to help streamline your process. So it's really, really extensive. It's a master class. It's not some kind of you know, kind of jack leg, some dude around the corner thing. <laughs> right, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but that's beautiful that you're willing to put so, that much yeah. time into helping other people with writing, especially with all the different projects you've got going. That's awesome. I, I really respect the heck out of that. Thanks. So, yeah, so I'm really, um, so I'm really excited, yeah, and then I'm, I'm working on, uh, Obviously, my novel sequels. Now, I found out, we found out this week that Amazon is shutting down Kindle Worlds. Really? So, my first, my very first book was a top 10 seller on Amazon, and I actually made it all the way to number two. I thought I was going to get to number one, but that was with the Wayward Pines book. So, what they said we can do is, is we can take out the copyrighted material and repackage it. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And that's the first book in this so series I, you're working on still, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, working on the sequel to that. And then I'm going to repackage this with Pines book. So, yeah. See, what tends to happen with me is, and I've been really working on, uh, uh, with, with me, you know, stuff just leads to more stuff. <laughs> right. So... Uh, 
you know, when I'm when I'm writing, all this other stuff comes to me that I want to write. So I'm just trying to get different things finished and get them out there on the market and make sure they're professional and polished. And I mean, it's quite an extensive process. And that's one of the, the classes I'm going to offer when I talk about the business of writing, because most people have no idea. The number one complaint of fans for self-published people is that their content is amateurish. And it's because they haven't invested the time or the money to understand how to give it some professional polish. Right. And so that's one of the things I'm going to be teaching as well. Because that's what people say all the time. They love the stuff, but it's just amateurish. So you've really got to you've really got to put some effort in and taking it to a new level. Nice. Yeah, I actually um, started really investing in writing myself this year. I've got a couple projects. And, you know, I mean, I've written over the years and, and this and that. And I've got some other stuff on the horizon that I don't want to say yet um, with other people, um, collaborations and stuff that are still in the getting them off the ground phases. And some of them are really concrete, so it looks like they're going forward. But going from, you know, being in bands and writing songs, which are pretty much instant if you're the songwriter, because once everybody else figures their instrument out, your words just fit what they do. And then, you know, so songwriting uh -huh. turns into poetry, turns into trying to write long form. And boy, it, it honestly is a very different world. Um, it takes a lot more... It really is. it takes a lot more discipline and time than I thought. And, you know, and I and I say that because I came into it kind of arrogantly, like I've always been super creative and I did really good writing songs and I know people and I talk to people and I listen to their how they do it. So I'm going to jump into it. And it's been eye opening this year, actually, when you, you know, legitimately working on prose writing, it's it's been a little eye opening. Uh, how much it takes <laughs> to to do it and and to do it well, you know, not just to jot down an idea and put some flashy right. dialogue in there and be like, there, it's done. Like learning structure that people will actually want to read and how long a certain thing should be compared to others and yeah, all the different facets that you really don't think about that could be discouraging to somebody just trying it or just starting. So I may actually be looking into taking your class as well, and I mean that sincerely, because I, I am getting ready to both foot dive into writing this year. Awesome. You know, you said something that is really, really key, and that was that most people really underestimate what it takes because uh, writing is the art of making the science look like an art. <laughs> right. And you have to work so hard. It's just like I always, you know, my favorite comparison is ice skating. It's like ice skating. When you, when you are a professional level ice skater, your whole life comes down to about five minutes out of your life. And I mean literally five minutes out of your life. Right. And to get that five minutes right, you've got to work for 15 or 20 years. And so writing is just like that. You've got to write and work and polish and develop your own voice and develop a sense of rhythm 
and know you have to understand plot structure. You've got to understand what engages people, what keeps them engaged. You have to do stuff you don't want to do, like trim off fat, because there's a lot of information that you would want to give because you're so excited about the story of the world, but your audience won't care about it unless it's in right. So, I mean, it's just really, you know, and you also need to pick a genre or two and focus. Because yep. I've heard some people say, well, you know, I write everything, but no, you need to pick something and spend the rest of your life getting good at it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, one of the one of the one of the things you just said was one of my first hurdles was the um, over over explaining and, and thinking that it's good because I'm putting so much detail like they'll be able to think that they're actually in the room and learning how to write in a way where you can do that without it taking 20 pages to set a scene when the whole scene should start, finish and move on to the next thing in those 20 pages. Um, I got high, I, I got asked, uh, I don't say hired cause I, I'm not getting paid for it, but I got asked to write a short story for a soon launching um, horror magazines th through a friend I made on social media. And you know, I was thinking short story. Okay. So that's not a book. That's a short story, you know, and they were like eight to 10 pages typed um and i sent them what i had so far because i didn't want to get too far into it and they and they sent you know so I, I put it in a pdf and i sent it to them to read to proofread before i re really got on because if they wanted me to change directions or or go a different way or completely scrap it and try something else because it wasn't working having never written anything for anyone before i was really nervous so i was like well read what i've got so far and she sent it back and she said, it's really good. You're already at page nine. You have 10 pages total to tell this whole story. Is this going to end in the next page or so? And I said, no, that's the setup. And she just kind of laughed because she's a published writer like you are. So she's got the experience and she's done the, you know, I've had to take things back and trim them like a Christmas ham so that they, they fit. And here, you know, here I was like... <laughs> Well, check the opening and da 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 da. And she was like, "You're at page nine of ten pages that we're giving you." So I had to learn how to tell a good story in a much smaller space for that structure. But it was a lesson in, sure, it was well detailed, but you were miring people in detail. Like the whole point of your story, you hadn't even gotten to yet, and you were out of room for that format. You know what I mean? So like. There, there's some good lessons that I've been graciously able to learn this year without it being too costly for me because people have been really cool and people have been really patient. You know, like if it was just a magazine that didn't know me and they were like, we'll give this kid a shot, they would have been like, you're a bloviating wordsmith. We gave you short story space. You know, like maybe pass for now until you figure it out better. But, you know, this person was actually willing to work with me and give me a chance to try to get it right, which I really appreciate it. So yeah, there's, there's so much more to it that I'm learning this year. <laughs> oh yeah, man. It's, it's really involved in, like I said, you know, uh, you also have to identify your writing process. And my process is I'm much more of a sculptor. So I'm not the kind of writer that just goes through and says here, I get some stuff down, then I have to step away 
And then I have to come back to it and chip away at it some more. Then I have to put it down. Then I have to come back. So that's just the way I work. And that's how I do stuff. So, you know, you got to get comfortable with whatever your process is, how it works for you. Right. See, mine, I'm, I'm trying to learn a discipline because for me, writing, I kind of write it like I'm watching a movie. And you can get really ahead of yourself because... I mean, you can you can watch a movie adaptation of a book in two hours, but that book could take you two, three days to read. You know, so when you're running a story mm-hmm. in your head like a movie, you still have to slow down enough to actually put the words where they need to go, whether you're typing them or handwriting them. I'm learning that, too, that I can't just put headphones on, put music on, and then go full bore because that's how it's playing out in my head because... When I'm 10 minutes behind work-wise in the writing, you know, I can get impatient or start looking at what details I can drop to try to catch up to where my brain's at. So I'm actually having to discipline myself to slow down and maybe pre-structure the whole thing before I start writing it, give myself a skeleton to work on and not try to completely finish it like it's a completely edited motion picture in my head before I even start writing it. Like that's one of the one of the one of the things I found that tripped me up this year that I've had to try to get away from. You know, oh like, yeah, oh yeah, because there's like you said with sculpting. Well, I mean, there's more. Right, right. Well, see, there's you know one of the things that good movies do is that there aren't any extraneous scenes. But whenever there's an extraneous scene in a movie, it slows the whole movie down. Right. And so you've got to learn how to balance. You know, not everything needs to be, you know, action all the time, but you've got to learn how to be sure that relevant information is still going on to the plot. Otherwise, it's extraneous and people are going to tune out. So, yeah, that's not easy. It's really not. I have so much more respect for my friends and guests that write this year so much like I always respected their ability to do it and do it well but Mm -hmm. now I have like you know like you watch a guy change a tire if you don't know how to change a tire and you're like that's pretty cool that he can do it that well and that he's that good at it and that comfortable with doing it and then but when you know what it takes to do that work there's this whole different level of when you see someone do it masterfully or do it really well that you're just like yeah, that's some talent and skill right there. Like you could, on that level, knowing the mechanics of what goes into it, there's this whole different level of appreciation and respect that comes with it. And I've learned that this year too. It's not all been struggle, you know, but it's, I've definitely learned to respect and appreciate the the actual form of, of writing this year a lot more than really ever before. Yeah, man, it's more than a notion. <laughs> right? But so um, I think I think I misspoke earlier uh, talking about the game. Is it going to be a tabletop game or, or is it a computer RPG or a video game? No, it's an it's a, it's a RPG tabletop. Okay, I, I thought so. But people can look up, they can download a prototype of what it's going to be or... 
I wanted to flesh that out a little more. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the beta version has uh, all of the cards. It just uh, and it has some of the finished art, but it doesn't have all of the art yet. But you get an idea of what's happening, and so the basic backstory is: it's a period of time where the rebellion in heaven has started, but a lot of the angels are still choosing sides. So you go on an adventure not knowing what to expect, because now when you meet other characters, you know you don't know which side they're on. And you've got to decide if you want to use light side powers or dark side powers. So every time you go on a mission, you've got to decide not just what you're going to do, but how you're going to do it. So it has a lot to do with choice and, and planning and all that. So, yeah, it's a tabletop RPG. So you really get into the head of the characters. You really have to make some real choices for the state loyalty how you're going to use your superpowers. And uh, yeah, so it's great. There's really not anything else out there like it. That's another reason Most definitely. I'm really proud of it because, yeah, there's nothing really on the market like that, number one. Number two, we came up with a unique, a bunch of unique mechanics. Uh, so we've got dice as well as, uh, we've got things like corruption cards. Like if you don't do your job, you have to take some corruption. We have temptation cards. Uh, we have, you know, the the standard where you can, you know, you keep a score of your power level. So if you get hurt, certain things you can't do. But we have something unique called a choir card, which means that you can draw on the love, the fellowship, and the sonic power of a whole group of angels at once. So, I mean, it's, you know, That's it's awesome. just really fun <laughs> and really, really unique. And I like, I I know uh, last episode I had you on, you were talking about there's also a tipping point with the character where once you go too far into the, the dark powers, you can't go back, right? Like there's actual permanent consequences to a character. Is, is that still part of it? Yes, yes. So you get to decide if you're going to use light side powers or dark side powers, but if you go too far dark, you flip your card and you turn into the dark version of yourself. Yeah. And once you go dark, you can't go back. That's right. Now, see, that's the kind of, yeah. So, yeah, that's... That's a level of choice that... Yeah, that's, that's very much still a part of it, yeah. And so you've got to be conscious of how far you're going every time you do a mission. You know, if you do shortcuts using a dark side power that counts against your character and all that stuff adds up. And then, yeah, if you go dark and, and then, you know, just like in the book, there's certain things that happen when you go dark, like the environment flips on you. So what used to be a friendly environment all of a sudden becomes antagonistic towards you if you go dark. So yeah, it's, it's really com uh, not convoluted. It's really complex, but Simple in concept, but really fun to play. Yeah, because see, that adds a level of immersion that most video and tabletop games don't have. I mean, they've gotten good at at choices dictating story, but they're they haven't. Neither mediums really nailed 
choices dictating how an entire game change you know like that's that's different than a plot twist like right. oh you know you you went evil so now this village doesn't like you no you went too far and now the entire game flips on you like getting sucked into the upside down and you can't change it right. back so like yeah like that's a level of immersion that a lot of games in any medium haven't tackled and that that one point that you were talking about the last time that's probably one of the main points of that game that has stuck with me and kept me intrigued and wanting to know how it was going because I want to I want to see how that goes and me knowing me I'd actually probably do a dry playthrough just to see what happens when you go that far just to see how <laughs> much you know what I mean like just to see how much the game changes because yeah. you know it's a game so it's not really my soul or my missions, but just to see what happens when you hit that teetering point and you actually give into that and go over just to see what happens when the whole world changes. And basically, yeah, everything goes against you until you can, I guess, rally with other people who have gone too far and let themselves be, you know, taken over it and made the, the wrong choice of that throne battle that you know really happened and affects us in the real world today even though people can't see it um so that that's such an alluring part of that to me i'm gonna send you the link right now so you've got the link in your dm so you can check it out yes and i've got some d uh tabletop happy friends so I've already talked this game up, and we are waiting. We are waiting with bated breath for this one. <laughs> so I'm going to be stoked to be able to to get my eyes on some stuff there this afternoon. I will definitely jump into as much of it's on there as possible. Cool, cool. So have yeah, you- man. I'm I, you know, like I said, uh, I was fascinated by the whole idea from the beginning. And I was fascinated on if something like that started, how did it start? And then how did we get involved? You know, how did it come to Earth? Why did it come to Earth? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how does that impact our lives and the kind of choices we make? And, um, and, you know, the other thing is, uh, and this is, this is deep because it's real life. I'll never forget this. I saw, many, many years ago, I saw a bunch of kids that, uh, I don't know if it was graduation, I don't know what it was, but anyway, they were somewhere in the woods and they just got really wasted, just got really lit, and they decided on a lark to kill somebody. Mm. So they did. Then they got caught, of course they got caught, and then they sobered up. And then I'll never forget the sight of the 17-year-old girl standing in front of the judge, being sentenced to prison for the rest of her life with no possibility of parole. And she started screaming because I know in that moment she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that one day I'm a junior or senior in high school and I have my whole life ahead of me. And with just one choice, 
It's gone. Everything changes. Yeah. Right. It's, that kind of that kind of uh, that kind of weight to life is why God tells us to fear Him and take life seriously. Now we don't want to be somber and dour and depressed, but we do have to be wise and take life seriously because this thing is life and death. That's the choice we were given from the beginning, life or death, and you have to choose. And whichever one you choose, that's exactly what you're going to get. Exactly. And so that's another part of what I wanted to communicate in the game is, you know, that this, this is like a real thing. So, yeah, so, I mean, so it's just it's just working on so many levels for me. That's why I'm, I'm really excited about it, really anxious to get some feedback and hear what other people think and that whole thing, yeah, so. Hmm. I can't wait. I mean, l- look at what's going on in the world today. You know, I mean, we've asked, I think we talked about it last time too, and I said the same thing I'm going to say now is, you know, God is a gentleman, and when you ask him to move or leave, he moves or he leaves. And look at how little life seems to be valued in the, in the world today. You know, I mean, people are like, well, how do we stop all these tragedies? And I'm not just talking about what happened in Texas and what happened in Florida, because th- there's tragedies happening all over the world on a daily basis. People choosing to do heinously evil things in whatever name they choose to carry it out in and it's all a symptom of much of the world whole swaths of continents have basically given god the finger and and, you know told him that we're smart and you're archaic and we have science and you have magic we're choosing not to believe in so we don't want you in our society and as a gentleman he says okay and, you know, we, we've pretty much been given up to a world that laughs at hope and love and light. I mean, look at most of the superhero culture. Look at most of, and I still love comic books, but look at most superhero culture. Look at most fiction. Look at most movies that come out. You know, how many movies are about an impending apocalypse? How many games are about an apocalypse? How many books are about an apocalypse? Or how many books are about how there are no true heroes, that everybody's really a bad guy. And it just screams of a world that that asked its hope to leave and now doesn't know where to find the hope because the hope left when it was asked to leave. You know, like, and people are looking for yeah, all these that's solutions. That's a really good point. You know, we're screaming all these no, solutions. No, I, I see it the same way. But you mm-hmm. kick God out or you told God you didn't want what he had to say, you didn't want his counsel, you didn't want his commandments, you didn't want his wisdom. And like you said, if you tell God that, he will step back because he's not going to force. And then you end up with what we can do as man, and mankind changes his mind every five minutes. Whatever we think is right now, you know, three months from now is going to be obsolete and people are going to be talking about it's old and nobody thinks that way anymore and nobody does this. And I'm like, I need something stable. (laughs) I don't want to be building on something where the ground changing every five minutes, you know, and now, you know, this, this 
this is a new thing, and this is what we're doing now, and this is what everybody's doing, and you can't speak against it, or else, you know, you're, you're just the worst person in life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm but five minutes from now, it's going to be something else. So what about that? <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, look at how much the society is eating itself at this point. They've gotten so so easily offended and so sensitive, and they've made all these you know fake causes and all this stuff and all these classes and all this protected this and you can't that that you know the old school people who were championing it 30 years ago are looking at the new ones and they're like y'all went too far and they turn on them and they're like i'm the one who started these movements and y'all are running me out on a rail screaming chase the leper out of the village like i don't (laughs) <laughs> like you watch them eat themselves the snake is eating its own tail on like 20 different fronts and i just sit back and i'm like honestly isn't it nice to just have the hope that none of this matters the people involved in it matter but the issues don't matter and as i get older and, and more mature you know i i'm learning to not just accept the grace that was accepted to me when I was as bad as I was, but to be patient and understanding enough with the maturity of age that comes to start really being willing and almost desperate to hand that grace out to other people themselves and give them a fair shot at hope and reconciliation i mean honestly you know i mean i get salty on twitter and i still have a problem with swearing which my wife will attest to um i think i have an in a constant rut in my shin bone from her foot um (laughs) when i'm talking about something and i get a little emotional about it um i have a tendency to draw back on that old boston kid who swore like a sailor and you know i'm working on that but you know I'm, I'm starting to i guess maybe i had to wait for the maturity because i wasn't i wasn't raised in a belief structure at all so it didn't come to me in my 20s and it came to a kid in his 20s who was already mad at the world had been to juvenile detention like five times had been through this and been through that and just this you know angry chip on my shoulder and it meant so much to me that and it still does i mean but i never really had the temperament for other people um i'm one of those people who kind of is still trying to shed that people a person is wonderful to talk to people are dumb you know like groups of people are, are dumb a person is much easier to talk to and I, I can witness well when it's a person, but when it's people, I just, I don't have the patience for it because they just, they get this mob mentality where nobody's really listening to anybody. You know, I mean, I'm not even listening. Like nobody's really listening. And the message breaks down because everybody just wants to be right. And you see it on Twitter. I see it on Twitter. You know, and you can extrapolate it out to the way society's fighting itself all the all the time now is everybody just wants to be right, but they want to be their version of right. And 
you get all this tribalism like you see filtering down not just from politics but into entertainment and literature and movies and music and all our escapes that were supposed to be the the bubbles that shut the world out for a little while have become the same battlefields and it's it's just very disheartening and for me and you you know i think it's double disheartening when we know a hopeful answer that will bear its truth out i don't have to prove to anybody that what i believe is true if they give it an honest shake and they give it a really earnest go they will see that it's true themselves because the devil always tells on himself and god can't lie you know what i mean so like one's going to prove he's a liar and the other one's going to prove that he never has been once you apply it in your own life and give it a real shake but it's just uh i don't know i guess maybe that's why the way you're laying the structure of your game out appeals to me so much and i don't mean to just bring it back to that but you know it's the world's getting more and more desperate and i think the franchise universe that you're building is something that a lot of companies founded or run by believers haven't really figured out yet you know with with, with the books and the coloring books and the comic books and the game it can reach so many different people that aren't into just one thing or they're into these but they would never pick up a coloring book but they'll pick up a comic book or a book or a game or they're not into gaming but they'll pick up a you know what i mean and so you've you've yeah. figured out this outlet that can reach so many different people that don't all have to be into the same thing so it's such a versatile outreach i guess you could call it i don't know boy well, i went on and on and on kind of, <laughs> well that's kind of what i had in mind was I wanted to create content in different mediums. And uh, so I had that in mind from the beginning. It's but genius. definitely also the issues. Now, going back to what you said earlier in that section about people going too far, I mean, I knew uh, the when we started talking about don't be a hater, I knew when people said that we were in trouble because what they meant was you, you think you can take away somebody's right to disagree and don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. And so as soon as people started bending that way, people now, they argue just to argue mm -hmm. and they fight just to fight. Not, they're fighting for something. But that's what happens when the goals are not clear. That's what happens when you don't understand where you're going before you get in the car. So what people do now is they get in the car and they get the engine and they go 100 miles an hour with no idea where they're going. And that doesn't you know, produce anything but chaos and instability and all the things we're experiencing now because you can't upend every structure and you can't break every boundary and you can't throw out every rule and say everything should just be free and then think you're going to have any kind of society left because life itself doesn't work that way. That's why God invented sand, okay? If you have dirt and you have water, when dirt and water shake hands, they make mud. 
and you can't do anything in mud. You can't plant flowers in mud. You can't plant uh, crops in mud. You most certainly can't build a home in mud. You can't do anything in mud. So God invented something called sand. And sand stands between water and dirt. And sand is neither. So the sand stands as a boundary so you can enjoy the beach and enjoy the water and then come back and have a place to build your home and plant your crops. So imagine what happens when the water comes past the sand, which is what happens when you get mudslides and tsunamis and all that. It's just destructive. And so this is what a lot of people don't understand about boundaries and restrictions and drawing lines. Okay, some things are there on purpose. Some things have to be maintained and protected because they're what, uh, what holds society together. And if you're going to destroy them and tear them down, then you're going to have nothing but mud later. And that's what it's going to take a couple of generations for people to realize, because they don't realize that quite yet. Not quite yet. They're getting there, though. There's a lot of waking up going on, honestly. I think a lot because of Because we people... got dead kids in the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of people who are saying that all this, what's good for me is good for me, what's good for you is good for you. Good and evil are relative, everything's gray, nothing's, you know, like, I think they're starting to see that that, there's so much breakdown in that, that it's not working. Yeah. You know, but, but I mean, and, and you know what's crazy is, and I'm going to call it out and people can get upset if they want, that's okay. Um, but if you look at, the radical wings, right? You got the right wing and the left wing. The left wing has become almost buckle shoe wearing Puritans. You know what I mean? That old stereotype of the, not the caring pilgrim who first got here, but the hard nosed, judgmental, harsh, aggressive, authoritarian Puritan. <laughs> that dominated most of New England after, you know, the first couple generations of pilgrims shuffled off this mortal coil, they became a very, you know, authoritarian presence. Like, I guess because I'm from New England, that's what I equate it to. But, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, that's where you get witch hunts and persecutions and trials of people you just don't like because Hetty's pumpkin pie is better than yours or she looked at you funny and all you need to do <laughs> is get a couple people together to be like yeah that's a horrible person and bam everybody's going after them and, and they're getting you know flogged in the public square we don't so much do that with cat of nine tails and and you know red hot brands anymore but we do it socially you know and and, and they've become right. the party that was supposed to be our great liberators of mind and science and morals and this utopia where everybody's everybody and da, 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 and and because <laughs> that structure fails so miserably on itself they've become mean hard-nosed close-minded hateful puritans 
and it's just well, you know, I kind of see the uh, I kind of see the same thing in our superhero shows in the sense that um, it's not about it's not about the development of the hero, and it's not about an arc or an adventure. It's much more about a soapbox or a platform, mm-hmm. and it's much more about you know making these kind of obvious, blatant kind of statements or perspectives and i'm like i do want to see my heroes have a moral dilemma and i do want to see them make choices but i don't that doesn't have to be preached in my face or preached to me about you know a certain agenda or perspective that you're trying to push because heroes are supposed to be heroes are supposed to have enough objectivity to understand that you know, right is right and wrong is wrong and the law is the law and there are choices and consequences. But today's heroes are so morally gray. I mean, I say it all the time in my reviews and I say it on Twitter a lot too, but it amazes me that Joe West and Barry Allen on the TV show are cops because that whole issue of the pipeline cruel and unusual punishment and no Miranda and no due process. And you put people in a little, you know, three by 10 room. And I guess you let them out, go, you know, get out to go to the bathroom. That would drive me crazy. And I mean, just everything about that. And it's like, this version. They've got. Yeah. The little supervillain Gitmo at Star Labs. Yeah. And this version of Barry goes with how he feels about everything and doesn't listen to anybody until everything is so screwed up. He doesn't have a choice anymore. Right. And he's still that exact same character four years later. And I'm saying to myself, come on, man. (laughs) Grow a little. Yeah, grow a little and realize that being a hero means it's it's what Captain uh, Captain America said that You know, he challenged Iron Man. He said, you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. You're not the guy to to lay down and let the other guy walk over you. Right. And, you know, eventually Tony proved that wrong at the end of Avengers. But it's so much a part of who Captain America is. And I said it recently, and I'll say it again. It's the reason that Steve Rogers is the only real success for the super soldier experiment because everybody else goes crazy or comes out a monster. And that's because of his heart. It's because he had a heart that knew how to sacrifice, how to do what was right, how to look at the big picture. Right. And, um, you know, that's why Steve Rogers came out the way he did and became Captain America because every time somebody else tries to become a superhero, it's a huge mess. And so I'm saying that type of altruism and that type of of objectivity, all those things are pretty much gone. And like you said, everything is just whatever's right for me, whatever's right for you, you know, don't judge. That's the that's the thing people love to scream. Don't, don't judge, judge don't judge. Right. And I'm like, or what? Or what's going to happen? <laughs> right. I like the people, people who are judge like, you. 
only God can judge me. And I'm like, I don't think you want him to at this point in your life. Well, I'm like, yeah, you may not, you may not try to understand what you're, what you're saying when you say that, <laughs> because that's, that's a given that's going to happen because God judges us for everything that we say and do. But what they mean is don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Oh yeah. I, yeah, totally. I just, you know, when, when they say things like that, that, that's usually my first sarcastic response is, I don't think you'd want him to today. You know, only God can judge me. Yeah, but I don't think you want him to see you right now. You're kind of at that stage where you may want to go hide in the bushes and have him walk around asking where you are. That's in that first book of that book you should probably read. <laughs> you know, I hid well, from you. Why? Because I kind of suck right now, and I know it, but I just don't want to cop to it. And a lot of that is not wanting to be held accountable. Because who really wants to be held accountable for things? It's, it's much easier to think that you can just fly through and, and have what you perceive to be the most fun possible. But, I mean, who really wants to be held accountable? And I think that's what a lot of what our society is trying to do today is lay down their own made-up human morality. Um, you know, you hear a lot of atheists arguing that you don't need a religious structure to be moral and good people. And you want to ask them, well, where where does your inspiration come from? Even if you say you don't believe in God, you've been raised in, you know, even, even the European countries, I mean, the, the, their structures are based off of the Judean Christian structures. So you, you just want to be like... You say that because the morality that was taught to you was ingrained in you from a system that you're rebelling against. You know? Well, yeah, again, you have to have some kind of structure. Uh, you know, you have to have everything in life that's working as some type of foundation, some type of base, something that it's built on, some type of roots. Some type of something. And to say that, again, you can build anything without that is kind of laughable. Because, mm -hmm. no, you can't. No, no, you can't build anything. Like You can't build a marriage. You can't build a business. You can't build a school. You can't build a philanthropic foundation. You can't build a media empire. You can't build anything if you're not standing on some solid structure and foundation and using right principles. And those right principles came from somewhere because we didn't make them up. Many times people talk about talk about things as if we invented it. Yeah. And if, you, if you're doing anything that's working, it was already in existence before you were born. You're not the first person to do that thing. It comes from somewhere. So, you know. Right, and that's what I was so saying. So that's why like, I have. Yeah. Like these atheists who say that you don't need to have any sort of belief structure, you know, and that's the point I was making. I think my, I had to readjust my headphones because they got a little screwy. But what I was saying is, you know, these atheists were still raised in Judeo-Christian societies. The morality that they're claiming comes from inside that they didn't need to be taught they're completely failing to recognize that the entire structure of their life was raised in that system. 
They're just choosing as adults to be rebellious and not recognize it. So no, human beings are not in, inherently good. You know, look at the course of history. Stand on how many different genocides for, on how many different continents. Human beings are not inherently good. And that's why I think it's dangerous and what's really hurting a lot of the comic book industry is the the removal of real morals. Um, you know, the, the, the inability to say that there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. You know, that the heroes need to be just as as broken and this and that as the villains. Well, then what's the point of being a hero? Everybody should just be a villain. It's more fun and it comes with, yeah. according to the DC movies, way less depression than being a superhero. <laughs> like at least they seem to be having fun you know the heroes are the sad ones nowadays and i i can't stand that because it wasn't like that when i was a kid right 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 that's exactly what i was gonna say i'm like well you know i want to see my heroes rise above they don't have to be morally gray or morally ambiguous or just as messed up in their head as the villains, they don't have to be that way. I like to see them overcome. I like to see them, you know, rise above all of that and make a decision based on a solid core, not, uh, you know, being full of self-hatred or always second-guessing themselves. That's what makes the times, the stories, when they have to second-guess second themselves, that's what makes them have so much power when they're confident as successful at other times, but if you're always second you get second guessing yourself, and if you're always depressed, and if you're always unsure, then you're just gonna whine. And what's the point of having superpowers if you're gonna whine? Right. They put their lives on with no powers. I'll never forget. Uh, I don't remember his name, but there was a priest in New York. When on September 11, 2001, when the Twin Towers went down, and he was a neighborhood priest, and everybody knew him. He was just one of the beloved priests of the neighborhood. I forget his name, but he ran into the building to save people when the tower started coming down, and he died as a result. I don't think anything collapsed on him, but I think the smoke inhalation and the dust got him. And I remember there was a picture of them carrying his body out. So that man ran towards danger when the towers were coming down to rescue as many people as he could, and he gave his life in the process. And this is somebody without superpowers. So I'm saying to myself, regular real people out here in the real world are more noble than some of what we're seeing some of our so-called heroes do. And I'm like, I am just, you know... Uh, you know, I'm tired of being sad and depressed every time I watch an episode or something. Right. You know, I'm just, you know, or somebody's dead or somebody's done something foolish or nobody can ever be happy at any time ever. And I'm just like, come on, man. <coughs> yeah. Real life has enough challenges. I don't, I don't need that in my entertainment, too. Right. And, and that's what I was saying <laughs> when we first started talking, you know. You know, comics and literature and movies and video games, they, they were the bubble. You know, you, you, you dipped out of reality for a little while with whatever time you could spare for recreation and you could breathe. 
And then you could go back into the ever-present crap storm that is real life. You know, but now... <laughs> you, you can't you can't escape it anywhere. I mean, look on social media. Look how, you know, I, I've talked with other guests and you before about how amazing interconnectivity is with technology now. You know, being able to connect with people and do cons and do Skype and do this and have these accounts where you can firsthand talk to people. And I'm watching so many creators, some of whom I've read my whole life, who I have an inherent respect for for their talent. And I just watch them like light fans on fire for the slightest disagreement. And there's all these new indie creators that are work that worked at these indie labels for years, and they finally got their big break at the two big houses, you know, Marvel and DC. But they have that attitude of like middle fingers in the air towards people who may have been a fan of the book they just got assigned for 20, 30 years, but they've got their stupid, self-important punk rock take on you know you know screw the way comic books are going we came from the indie books which are all you know burn the superheroes down and now we're writing the superheroes so we're gonna break it from inside and then you have lifelong fans that are like i don't like what you're doing and they basically just like cuss them out in public and they have these idiot sycophants that just dogpile on people for literally being like for criticizing a legitimate change in a book or making a character act in a way that that you know they wouldn't, given in the hands of the people who created them and made them a beloved character. And you just, it's just vitriol. It's just constant vitriol. And it's really made me kind of not even want to be associated with comic books anymore. If you look at, if you look at the guests I've had in the past couple months, it's all been creator controlled or small publishers that have nothing to do with a lot of mainstream comic book stuff because it's just gross right now you know when you have people who write for these superheroes that children have looked up to for what seven six decades now and you get right. you know and you get the guy the guy or the or the girl writing this character you've loved forever and they basically tell you to F off in your face and then a bunch of people who just follow them blindly no matter what book they're writing on dogpile on and just spend a day mocking you in front of people and telling you how horrible you are like that's the state of the big comic book industry now and it's heartbreaking to me it's absolutely heartbreaking to me that people who write these almost century old superheroes the new batch of writers coming in not all of them but for the most part are just like these sneering constant middle finger up in the air you know pardon my french but assholes who get to take over these beloved characters and the people who have been there the whole time who are like i don't like the direction any of this is going basically get the word hitler screamed in their face and a bunch of random tools on the internet just dogpile on because they think that one famous creator is going to throw them some sort of social bone. <laughs> it's like comics are in well, a bad state Well, I feel more, right you know. Like, I only well, my attitude now. is always... I dropped Supergirl. Well, my attitude is always, I, I want to control what I can control and all that I can control is me. Me, right. So what I stand for is... Um, I always tell, uh, I always say it everywhere I go, 
we have something very special in the geek community because we're able to come together because of our love for characters and story worlds. And there, there are no barriers to entry. And you name me some other segment of American society where that's true. We can all get together regardless of demographics, regardless of our faith beliefs, regardless of political structures, just because we enjoy a character or characters. Right. And I tell people everywhere I go, we do not need to mess that up. We do and not need to let our geek community generate into a bunch of shouting matches over fictional characters. You know, there's there's so much content now. Plenty, you know, there's plenty for you to enjoy and enjoy what you enjoy. And of course, we can have disagreement and debate and heated discussion. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. I mean, that's how new ideas are. But, you know, I, you know, I, again, I'm just about being responsible for what I'm responsible for, which is my attitude. And I'm just like, I have no expectation for everybody to like me or agree with me. That's not how life works. Right. And everybody's not supposed to like you or agree with you. There's nothing living trips on that except people. You've never seen orange trees <laughs> hang their head down. It's shame because people like apples. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Some people like apples, so I'm just not going to be an orange no more. Nothing living does that. Except for us. You know, the, the eagle doesn't fly down and put his wing around the penguin and say, I'm so sorry you can't fly, so so I won't make you feel bad. I'm not going to fly anymore. Nothing does that. So I'm not, you know, I do not expect everyone to like me. I do not expect everyone to agree with me. That's not even really on my mind. That's not even my focus. Right. My focus is trying to put out some quality content that that speaks on different levels. It's thought provoking. It's it's soul searching. It's it's cerebral. It's emotional. It's entertaining. You know, it makes you take out what you believe and look at it, and right. and gives you a good story at the same time. And you know, that's how I'm. I'm not trying to. How can I say this? I'm not trying to. Uh, be part of a geek gang, if you will. Right. <laughs> I'm not trying, you know, I'm not trying to flash any signs and wear any colors and I'm with this and I'm with that. <laughs> right. and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, create my content, I'm trying to make my contribution to life. I'm trying to enjoy this community. And, you know, everybody's going to have writers and artists that they like more than others. Everybody's going to have preferences. But, you know, it's one of those things that just makes me glad I have sense enough to know that, you know, you can't take away people's right to disagree. Right. You know, even the most popular movies, the most popular TV shows, the most popular anything, everybody does. Even a lot of people don't like it. You know, it's not about that. So I'm not about to get into these debates, uh, you know, with people especially on social media about, you know, their favorite or whatever. I'm like, I'm always just talking about the stuff I like. And right. I'm like, you know, you're free to like, you know, the stuff I like or hate. But when you start trying to pull it into, like you said, like, you know, X creator here or X writer or artist X or this person said this, and now I'm going to hate everybody that doesn't agree with them. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. And, and I think that's just why I no. 
such detail about it is what you're saying about our community is so true. We've always been inclusive. We've always been diverse, you know, and not the buzzword way. Just naturally, everybody's right. welcome. And I just see a lot of threats to that. And some of them are coming from inside the industry. And I would hate, it would really be heartbreaking to see that go away and to see, you know, geek culture, not just in comics, but geek culture, nerd culture in general, become as much of a dumpster fire as the rest of the world has decided to to become. You know, so I mean, I guess I went into that much detail because... I just, I don't want to see it happen. You know, I, I don't want to see, you know, well, the old school guys need to leave because all the new school people are here and we're going to completely rebuild all these things to fit what, what, what we socially think today. And this, and, and I know that stories will change and I know that characters will change, but they're all kind of doing the same change. So it's getting kind of boring at the same time. You know, I mean, that's why I dropped a lot of the CW shows. We only watch The Flash now. Um, you know, I don't have too many gripes on Arrow. I just kind of got burnt out on it. Their plot is really struggling to keep me and has been for a little while. But Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl, I was so excited when they started. And they just turned into almost the same SJW lecture. Episode to episode. Not just whole story arcs, but like episode to episode it just gets kind of boring you're like i get it i get it only the far left way of thinking is the right way of thinking and oh sigh only superheroes would operate in the far left vacuum because only the far left ideals are the only ones that are right and isn't she supposed to be punching a bad guy yet like that's where i got honestly with it you know i i love I love the White Canary character, but I I never asked her to be, I, I don't know, I, that's probably for off-air. That comment will be taken very wrong. But <laughs> what, you know, I, like, I don't know. I, I've kind of dropped everything. Well, see, there's some, because there's, of that. some uh, there's some built-in problems that, that, you know, and I talk about them all the time. One of the built-in problems with Kara Zor-El is that she's a spin-off character. This is what people seem to understand. Kara doesn't have her own anything. Right. She doesn't have her own origin. She doesn't have her own colors. She doesn't have her own costume. She doesn't have her own powers. She doesn't have her own anything. Now, they've given her some theme music, which is cool, and you know, given her city to operate out of, but it's different from a character like let's say, Aurora Monroe Storm or Rogue or Invisible Woman Sue Storm or uh, Mystique. Or these characters were not spun off from anybody or anything. Right, they're their so own. So these characters right. come on... Right, right. They come on the scene with their own uh, motivations, their own... Like, I love the Storm is claustrophobic. She doesn't like to be caged in. And she freaks out. She's got to be open and free which makes sense for somebody that's in tune with the weather. And that's not because of, that's not like kryptonite that affects all Kryptonians. That's something, that's an auroral thing, you know. And so when you're dealing with that, you know, it's the same kind of thing, Batgirl, Mary Marvel. So there's inherent problems with that. 
Now, the way they separated Barbara Gordon out was with the killing joke. And that's why the killing joke is still so controversial. Because that is the adventure that forever gave Barbara her own thing. Right. And it's, it's definitely brutal and ugly. But my point there is, is that, it, you know, when you have a spinoff character, they've got to have something to do. They've got to have a reason. And if that reason is not organic or you can't make up, you know, a backstory that works, then, you know, it's harder to follow. And then on the flip, when you have very strong legacy characters, but they don't portray them that way, like all the canaries. If you know anything about Black Canary from the comics, she is a legacy character. Mm-hmm. The Dinah Lance character, the, the modern day Black Canary, the one we know, is the daughter of Dinah Drake, the original Black Canary from World War II. Right. So she inherited her superhero fighting mantle, and she was out fighting crime before she ever met Oliver. They, they met in the Justice League, and Black Canary was always very much her own person. But all of the on-screen Black Canaries have had something to do with Oliver in some kind of way, I guess, uh, instead of this last one. But anyway... We've never really seen the actual Black Canary at any point. Right. So that's what I mean about the problem with Kara is that she doesn't really have her own unique origin. And the problem with very strong legacy characters like Black Canary is that if you ignore their legacy and try to turn them into something else, then they become just, you know another fighter in a costume and Dinah is so much more than that. And if you read the comics, you know that. That is always bothering me. So that's me, what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta, these, are, I see them as writing challenges. These are writing challenges. That's why, again, I've been wanting to work so hard to work on my craft to try to learn how to be a good storyteller because these are the kinds of challenges that you have. If you don't learn how to <coughs> distinguish these characters and make them unique and make them interesting and give them their own motivations, then it's the easiest thing in the world for them to become generic or cliche or like one of the things I wrote about in my article about race and gender bending is one of the biggest uh, troublesome tropes is when you write a character just as love interest. So they're only there to hook up with the hero. Right. Now, if you're going to if you're going to do that, you need to do that with someone that we do not know from any other context. That's a little bit uh, easier to swallow. But when you do that with like Jimmy Olsen, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen, you know, is very much a concrete character that we've known and loved for years. And then you completely twist him into someone else that's not Jimmy at all. And then he's so not Jimmy, you have to make him Guardian. And Jimmy Olsen's not Guardian either. Right. You know, like Paul. And I'm like, and uh, same thing with uh, Lana on Smallville. She was, Lana Lang from the comics actually went on to do some other things. But this particular Lana was always written like, like Clark's girlfriend. Like she didn't have any other function. And that's not a character, that's a function. Right. So that's what I mean. You know, you've got you've got challenges in the writing 
And when you have pre-established characters, me personally, I don't want to throw out the backstories. I want to bring in the backstory because that's what makes them interesting. So that's just me, though. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I mean, I, I started watching. I mean, there was a time I was like, we got a DC show every night of the week. And now it's like, we got Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it is what it is, you know, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I've got my own completely fed up with political correctness reasons for dropping the other ones. And, you know, the Flash brings in the other characters as ancillary and then they go back out and the Flash doesn't do a lot of the social lecturing. I think that's why I can still watch it, honestly, because it doesn't do a lot of the social lecture. And. I don't know. I just, I got burnt out. I, I don't need to be told that everything that I, that I've chosen to believe as an adult is horrible and makes me a bad person while I'm trying to watch a show about superheroes. I, I just, I don't, I'm 37 <laughs> years old. If I wanted somebody to tell me how to behave, then I'd invent some sort of machine that makes me 10 years old again, where I have to learn who I'm going to be as a person all over again. But I'm 37 years old and I believe what I believe and whether you agree with it or not, that's fine. And it's perfectly fine. And I don't even care what lifestyle you choose unless you come to me with some sort of salvation question. And then I'm not going to sugarcoat or lie, you know, but I'm not going to go out and hunt you down and lecture you on how horrible you are for your life choices, because that's not what adults do to each other. Um, so I just I just I get burnt out on it and it, it's just annoying. So I, I dropped the shows. I, I literally only watched The Flash and Gotham because I have such a happy spot inside me for Gotham for some reason. That show jibes with me in a way that other superhero shows never have. Um, that's That's like, that's my happy place. Thursday nights is Gotham. It really is because because they don't have Batman. What they've done with the Bruce character is amazing. I don't know if you, if you watch Gotham, but I think what they've done over the years. Watched, is I've only watched of, some of it. I don't watch it regularly. Okay, yeah. Well, where it is now, I think it's beautifully perfect. Um, you know, in the comics, and and, and it is kind of a rewrite because in the comics, you know, Batman shows up. And then the supervillains come as almost like an answer. And in this right. one, it's the villains establish themselves and Bruce watches it all and then decides that there needs to be somebody to stand between them. So it, it's it's a different take on how to get to Batman's origin. But it's mm-hmm. just really well done. And there's not a lot of retconning of any character it's true to form you know lucius fox you recognize him as oh yeah that's definitely what lucius fox would do that's definitely what gordon would do um they've written bullet perfectly and he's played expertly by donald Logue. like everything on that clicks i haven't run into anything where i was like that doesn't jive with me but i can suspend enough of what bothers me to keep going i've never run into that with that show and the flash hasn't done that to me yet either 
But, you know, even the Marvel shows on TV. Marvel and DC, I've dropped watching most of the most of the stuff, except for some of the Netflix stuff and The Flash, because it's just, I don't need to be lectured. I just want to watch good guys punch bad guys, and I want the good guys to win. And I don't want them to win boringly, give them struggle and give them peril, but get all the social stuff out of it. I don't care. I don't care who sleeps with who in the superhero universe. I don't. And I don't want to be told that I need to care. And I don't want it to be constantly shoved in my face. When their sexuality becomes the main trait of your superhero, they're no longer a superhero. They're in a Harlequin novel. They're no longer in a comic book. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. And stop telling well, me I'm wrong, because like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I just... No, I'm not a homophobe. Well, like, I just I, don't care. <laughs> like, it's... What's really turned up in the last year, two years, has been uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But mm -hmm. the reason that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. hit its stride is because it stayed around long enough for us to really, really, really come to know and love these characters. Right. And so we, we're so invested in them now. We care about what happens to them and... And so they really turned it up in these last couple of years. And that's really been, but it's what you said. Their show, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is about whatever threat they're facing and their love for each other as a team and as a family and realizing that in spite of their best efforts, they become family whether they like it or not. Right. And that's really what this last year has been about. So that wraps up the danger because it's different when when you start out and you're just a bunch of agents or just a bunch of sh uh, soldiers doing a job, that's one thing. But when you've morphed into this this family because you don't really belong anywhere else mm -hmm. and something happens, it's so much more heart-wrenching. And so that's what they've been able to pull off. And I was really surprised because it, it just... It happened last year with the framework arc, but it just turned up so intensely. I mean, it was just a great thing. Now, one show that I haven't uh, probably given a fair shake was Black Lightning. And some other people have told me Black, Black Lightning was really good, but I haven't really had a chance to really kind of check it out. I think I watched the pilot. So, you know, maybe I need to give it a little, little bit more time. It just didn't, um, how can I say it? There's that thing I, I told you about Inhumans. You either have to make it super goofy, you have to take it super seriously, and I don't, I don't know. It felt, it felt uh, caricature-ish to me. Mm. It felt, it felt like some of the, some of the characters are just so over the top. They're not characters that caricatures they're you know like like cartoon characters played by real life actors so i probably need to watch some more because everybody tells me it's really good but some of the luke cage like i said stuff i, I probably like that to me some of the luke cage stuff what'd you say some of the luke cage stuff was oh. like that to me uh -huh. i don't know if, if you watch the netflix show but some of the Luke I've Cage characters. Uh, some of them. And then 
some of the Daredevil stuff was a little... Yeah, like, I, I'm... The Electra character grates on my last freaking nerve. Um, I don't like their pick for Electra, And... Yeah, and, and it went to the same thing. It was... Having read the character for this long, and it, it just seemed more like a... Like a reflection of, of the complexity of, of what it should be. And not just so uh-huh. much a demographic filler space, you know? Uh-huh. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't I mean, seen a lot no. of the Black Lightning stuff yet, but I have heard the same thing, that it's really good. So I, I'll probably end up watching it on Netflix where I can just really get soaked into it one night. Well, yeah, I, I need to... Uh... I need to probably go back and binge it some more. Um, best character to come out of Daredevil, though, so far has been the Punisher. And once again, that's because he's much more true to who Frank Castle really is. Mm-hmm. And his attitude is is just like you expect the Punisher to be. So I'm saying, you know, the same formula works every time. When you make the character true to who they've been from the books... It works on the screen, yep. big or small. When you when you take the character away from its roots, and then they become a character and name only, then you're gonna have problems. I mean, again, it's the same same thing every time, same idea. And so that version of Electra doesn't really feel like Electra to me. Right. So, but well, that's that just me, like, you know. Yeah. Like, well, well, like, like my thing is, you know, they launched the Jessica Jones season and you see Jessica and Luke get together and you're like, oh, okay. So they're going to go, they're going to go with, eventually they will be like one of the best married couples in Marvel and they'll have their kids and then, but then it's like Luke Cage season launches. He no longer owns the bar, which gets completely destroyed in Jessica Jones season one with zero reference at all since, um, you know, like he's hiding out in pop's barbershop and he doesn't want anyone to know where he is. But yet when they did Jessica Jones, the dude's like a well-known neighborhood bar owner. And when they get into Luke, <laughs> you know what I, you know what I mean? And then like when they launched the Luke Cage season, yeah. it was like, nah, nobody can know who I am. Nobody really needs to know I'm here. I'm just going to sweep up these hair clippings and I'm going to live kind of underground and pop shop and you know and then night nurse who's basically made out with literally every character they've brought forth in the marvel netflix series because rosario dawson is being <laughs> ill-used for how good of an actress she is and she's basically like the they took night nurse and turned her into like just that chick you hook up with because she likes all the dudes at the party um I mean, think about it. Like, the only one she didn't either kiss or bang so far has been Daredevil. I mean, Punisher. Like, and it's Night Nurse. And you're like, why is she kissing all the dudes? Like, she's just supposed to be where they go and they're so broken they can't fix themselves. But no, they've made her like this weird romantic plot point in like multiple different character seasons. And I'm like, A, you're wasting Rosario's talent, and B, you're completely turning Night Nurse into some sort of promiscuous caricature of what Night Nurse is supposed to be to that 
Marvel Knights universe because they're doing all the you know the darker grittier characters. I'm like, she don't need to be the common thread because they all are like, hey man, we're you know we're makeout brothers because we both kissed that chick. It's stupid. And now they like have her with Luke. But Jessica Jones is still out there. And then they put them together again for the Defenders and nothing gets talked about. Like, they're all operating in the same freaking city with all these crazy events happening. And they all get together and they're like, oh, I've never even heard of you. I don't know who you are. And you're like, come on. Like, I think that's what made the Defenders rough to watch. Was you're like, so they got Iron Fist and Luke Cage together in the same room and there's no reference to Power Man and Iron Fist. There's no heroes for hire throwaway line. There's nothing. Daredevil's been doing this longer than all of them, but he doesn't know who any of them are. And Jessica Jones is a freaking PI whose job is to investigate people, and she doesn't know who any of these other heroes are. They're just eating Chinese food together, and they're suddenly like, oh, sure, let's all fight, because ninjas showed up at the restaurant. Like, it was like, to me, it was just like... And they do so good on the individual seasons that I'm like, you know, you can do thread lines that carry through series to series. We won't get confused. You won't scare us with with the fact that this is one existent universe. You're not going to scare us off because we have to think. I think we can handle it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, if, if you know... Luke Cage and Jessica Jones from the comics, it's like you said, one of the more stable couples, one of the more heartwarming couples because of the way they love each other. To me, they're they're almost like the Ollie and Dinah of Marvel, except they're better. Right. And so Exactly. Like, you know, and it's like that's what I wanna see when I see them. That's how I know them and People know, everybody knows that when you find someone that's really the right one, the right fit, the one that's going to make it work, you know, you want to make that as secure as possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and normally, especially, you know, it's different if you're like, you know, still really young and still really kind of trying to work through some things and don't really know yourself yet. Or don't really know where you're about or where you're going. That's different. But if you, you know, if you got some mileage on it, you've been through some stuff. <laughs> right. and you've seen, you know, you've seen kind of what life has to offer. That's what teaches you how to value love when you find it. That's right. what teaches you how to say, you know, what this thing right here is worth keeping. And, you know, and so that's the other thing, you know. It's hard enough to find a stable couple. So, you know, they're finally letting Batman and Catwoman get married. And, you know, they finally let Clark and Lois stay married and be married. And she didn't die. Because before, every time Superman and Lois got married, she ended up dying. Right. I'm like, can we please just be happy? Good grief. So, you know, so some couples are coming around. But I'm like, some of these couples, as long as they've been in the game, you know, they should know, like, for example, you know, if you're talking about like a young love kind of thing, that would be maybe Johnny Storm and Crystal, yep. you know, way back in the day. Yep. But if you're talking, about, you know, a mature love or someone that, that again, when they find 
See, that's the whole thing about the real Matt and Electra. That's what people don't get about them. Matt and Electra, the reason that they worked is because they spoke to each other on a level that's much deeper than words. And yep. they got each other on a level that almost nobody else could because both Matt and Electra are like, what is this thing that I have become? I started out trying to avenge my father's death, but now I've become something that's much uglier and much more out of control and much larger than I thought. And what do I do? And Matt and Electra get that about each other without having to explain it. Right. So they tried. That's why they tried to do that so, and they just yeah. could not pull it off. You know, they wrote her like spoiled but, rich girl and 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 it it tainted every other part they tried to advance was they started it like that. Like she was just this fascination to Matt and she was just this bored rich girl. Uh-huh. But then they tried to retcon that within the own within its own thing and go back to like she's known stick since she was a child. And she's this and she trained for that and she's this, you know, secret ninja weapon and it was just like, no, you guys wrote her originally as a spoiled rich girl. And now you're trying to give her depth, but you already threw her off on this thing. And you're trying to switch gears in a season that's already been split by the Punisher, y'all don't have the time to keep flip-flopping who she is. And I think that's what my problem was. It was hard to get like a buckle-down read on on which way they were going with her because they tried to do both ends of that so heavy-handed. And they kind of just went with it in the Defenders where, you know, of course she knew Stick and she's been this warrior trained and this and that. But when they first introduced her in Daredevil Season 2, she they... They kind of like dropped the ball on it by just making it the perception of her as a spoiled, rich, bored girl that was just using Matt for fun. You know, and he was the one who never well, got over it. it like, they kind of, I don't know. Now, have you seen... No, see, uh, Electra is who Batman would be if he didn't have a problem with killing. Electra right. went from something to something. So even if she started out that way, the experience of her father's death, but see, again, Electra got in over her head with her training and became something she didn't really plan on becoming. And then, like I said, it kind of took on a life of its own. Right. Because you have to deal with your conscience and you have to deal with uh, moral issues when you're an assassin. And, and it would do something to your soul. And like you said, making her some type of some type of Gilmore girl, like a debutante. Right. <laughs> and then it, yeah. trying to say, you know, she's something else. And I'm like, well, so that's, again, that's what I mean when I say the characters are just fine from, from the books, you know. There's like a reason they, we the, loved them for 40, 50 years. Don't tamper with it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> like, no, putting and, them in and, their uh, color-accurate uh, costumes will not keep us out of the theaters. Those books have been bought just, for generations. We don't care. I don't... The studio fears confound well, me. Had, I'm like, uh, we just had the announcement that Batwoman 
is coming to the Arrowverse. So I think that's going to be interesting because I think finally putting a back character completely changes the game. It does, so, but do they have the permission to use Batman? Because even Gotham itself, um, the producers were given an interview, you know, because the season finale was this week, and there was this whole thing where they were panicking about getting picked up for season five, which they did. That's going to be their last season. But they even said that Cameron Monaghan's character isn't the Joker because Warner Brothers will not give them the character rights because the brand is so big. You know, they've always said in Gotham, the last frame of the last episode of the last season, the last thing you'll see before they end it forever is David Mazou get into a bat suit. And they haven't even said you'll see it from the front. You may literally, they may only get the rights to show the cowl. Like somebody standing there with a cape on their shoulders putting the cowl on. And they, they still don't have the rights to the Joker character. So if they throw a Batgirl into the CW-verse, I don't know how much of that actual universe can come with her. Because I guess Warner Brothers is really weird on parsing out what you can have and what you can't have. Which makes no sense well, to me. If, once, if you're going to do DC, then just once, do DC. Yeah, but once you open up, once Gotham is established, yeah, then, then you know, you know uh, they're going to make references, they're going to make winks. Somebody besides Batwoman is going to show up. I'm convinced of that. It's not going to be just her. So the premise idea is, I think that she's the only vigilante from Gotham. There's no way that's going to stick. No, there's no way so, it's believable. Right. Like, so before it's all over, I'm sure we're going to see, you know, hints of Alfred, Grayson, Tim. I mean, they gave know, Supergirl Superman. Why not? Right, so, right, we've got a small screen and a big screen, Superman going at the same time. And speaking of that, do you know how I wish they would stop teasing? I wish they would stop teasing Green Lantern and just go ahead on and bring him. Somebody, either in they the just movies had or in the shows. Right, they just said the last episode of The Flash, he's running through Ferris Air, you know, mm -hmm. Air Landing Field. And I'm saying, can we please just have Hal Gordon on the show? What is the holdup? Right, and you know they've had other Ferris references throughout different CW shows. Like, it's out there. And they've even talked about his city. But, yeah, like, why can't we just... I don't know. Look, my, my biggest wish, if we're talking Lanterns, honestly, is I want Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us to be Jon Stewart, Green Lantern, in the movies. We wow. had Hal. That should be it. That should be really interesting, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's yeah, an amazing actor, and he wants to play it, so why don't you give the guy who can act his tail off the character that he wants? <laughs> like, the dude's already well, again, proven his chops in multiple TV shows. Let's just let him do it. Well, with Jon Stewart, Jon Stewart has so much depth and intensity, so this is one of the the top two actors, because my other pick is uh, Idris Elba. Yeah. But either one of those dudes could be such a convincing Jon Stewart. I'm like, can we hurry up and make this happen? I just want a Green Lantern. Because, uh, you know, uh, he just needs to be there. I just feel like, I feel like Green Lantern and Captain Marvel have not gotten their due 
so far. No. So we'll see how the Shazam movie comes out. But I would, you know, uh, there's just so many storytelling possibilities. Because, again, I always think of it, you know, like a writer and not just a fan. I'm like, there's so many ways the universe expands once you introduce certain things. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, we've just been waiting with bated breath to see you know, a lantern, whether it's Hal or John, you know, and and I've always wanted to see the Marvel family on TV some kind of way. If they didn't introduce Billy, they could introduce Freddie or Mary. You know, I mean, so, again, the thing is just kind of wide open. And uh, everybody's going to want to see the question, too. They already have the Huntress on Arrow, but if you mm. bring in Batwoman... You know, everybody's going to be like, we want to see the question. And then also, because I talked about it one day on Twitter, I talked about the show they need to make is uh, Beetle and Booster, and they need to let Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion play him. Oh, my God, Are yes. you kidding Are you kidding me, man? Yes. That's gold, right? Oh. <laughs> Nathan Fillion is Booster Gold? Yes. That's not even a question. Come on now. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, they're, uh, they're just, again, that's a Momoa Lobo situation. You're exactly. born to do this. So, you know, if if I was in the mix, that's what I would be pushing for. But anyway, I, uh, I need to run. I know you probably need to edit that part out, but uh, I got to go. <laughs> no, you're good, dude. Um, just real quick, tell, tell everybody where they can find you so they can get their hands on everything that's going on with you. Okay. Uh, my new website that launched today is Authors at Last, authorsatlast.com, and that's where you can find my author training classes. All my comic book stuff is at DT2 Comics Chat. I know that's kind of a funny name. Uh, DT is my initials, the number two, David Taylor the second, and Comics Chat. That's my Twitter handle. And DT2ComicsChat.com is my website. So uh, I'm going to be talking about my Patreon and my characters and releasing some things digitally really soon. Nice. Cool, man. Well, I know. I, I just looked at the clock and I was like, we've been talking for two hours. So... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, thank you, dude. I I need to get you on more often though, because I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I really could. But well, man, I really enjoyed it. It's really awesome. Thank. You. Yes, sir. Well, you go and have a blessed rest of your weekend, sir. All right, man. You two will talk again soon. Yes, sir.